Scientists have said that the human brain is the most complicated organ in the body, in fact, many claim that it is the single most complex natural or man-made entity on our planet. The mighty brain we carry in our heads processes billions of messages a minute, day and night, week after week, year after year, decade after decade. Its knowledge base expands and grows more complex with every new bit of information acquired, making informed decisions and taking creative leaps based on this new input, all the while retaining the older bits. Tens of billions of nerve cells, called neurons, most smaller than a grain of sand, are compressed into an incredibly small space about the size of a cantaloupe. Each has a defined function, carrying out billions of distinct communications as we go through our day. At the same time, outside our awareness, the brain regulates breathing, heartbeat, digestion, sensory organs, excretion, and other functions. The brain is so important that even though it accounts for only 2% of our body weight, it receives 20% of our blood supply. Yet we give little thought to our brain until we encounter a problem in our ability to think. If Alzheimer's disease AD develops, the brain slowly loses its ability to make and retrieve memories and process information. A friend's name that was once familiar now eludes us. Last week's Thanksgiving dinner draws a blank. A naval engineer who once performed algebra, calculus, and trigonometry can no longer balance his checkbook. A grandmother cannot recall her family's favorite cookie recipe and is not even safe in the kitchen anymore, as she forgets to shut off the oven. Bits and pieces of life are lost, a doctor's appointment, a child's birth date, the name of a flower, even a spouse's face. Eventually, even simple thinking skills are lost. We don't yet have all the answers about what triggers the cascade of events. That eventually leads to add, or why some changes in memory and thinking. Skills that occur even in healthy aging become much more destructive in people who have the disease. But we have learned a lot about the major characteristics of the disease and the way in which it develops over time. We also know that the processes in the brain that lead to the physical and behavioral changes in people with it begin long before anyone is aware that a problem exists, 10 to 20 years before significant memory loss occurs. The first discovery. In 1906, the German psychiatrist Dr. Alois Alzheimer described the case of Auguste, a woman of 51 who had been admitted to the hospital five years before her death with a series of symptoms that included problems with memory and comprehension, an inability to speak, disorientation and hallucinations, and behavioral issues. After she died, Dr. Alzheimer performed an autopsy. Examining her brain tissue under a microscope, he found two unusual pathologies. One of these was a massive amount of sticky insoluble proteins lodged in the spaces between nerve cells. Today these are called beta-amyloid plaques. The other was tangled bundles of protein threads within the neurons themselves, now called neurofibrary tangles. Plaques and tangles are now considered the hallmarks of AD. 
When Dr. Alzheimer made his seminal discovery, few took notice. At that time, the most common cause of dementia was syphilis. In his day, he was much better known for his studies of this type of dementia than for the relatively infrequent Alzheimer's disease. Also, Alzheimer's disease was not as common. Then, because few people lived to 75, the average age of onset people only lived to 47 or 48 in 1900. The top 10 killers were infectious disease like pneumonia, smallpox, influenza, and venereal diseases. In 1910, the condition characterized by plaques, tangles, and accompanying symptoms was first called Alzheimer's disease by Dr. Alzheimer's supervisor at the Royal Psychiatric Clinic in Germany. However, for 50 years following Dr. Alzheimer's discoveries, knowledge about the disease grew slowly. Continuing improvements in scientific instruments and methods allowed scientists to conduct more sophisticated studies of the biological structure of plaques and tangles. They began to recognize that the Alzheimer's disease defined as plaques and tangles occurring in the brains of relatively young adults were, in fact, the same structures they saw at autopsy in the brains of older people who had senile dementia, the result of what was then called hardening of the arteries. The common assumption was that forgetfulness was a normal part of old age. Most people thought, Uncle Fred is going through his second childhood, or Grandma just can't remember where she puts things, but it's no big deal. During the 1960s, though, there was growing recognition that dementia was not, in fact, a normal part of aging but was often caused by a disease of the brain, Alzheimer's disease. Since then, discoveries in Alzheimer's disease have come increasingly rapidly. We know now that, in most cases, symptoms of the disease emerge. After age 65, this is called late onset ad. In a small number of cases, people develop the disease in their 30s, 40s or 50s. This is called early onset AD. Breakthroughs in the field of genetics have shown that early onset cases run in families and are the result of particular genetic mutations. Late onset AD probably results from a combination of genetic, environmental, and lifestyle factors. In both forms, the disease has the same pathology the accumulation of beta amyloid in plaques and neurofibrary tangles that disrupt communication among neurons, ultimately leading to cell death. Dementia People often use dementia and Alzheimer's disease interchangeably, but the two words do not mean the same thing. Dementia describes a cluster of symptoms from a loss of cognitive skills, thinking, remembering, and reasoning. That is so severe the person has trouble carrying out daily activities. Dementia usually is caused by a disease or condition. Sometimes it results from neurodegenerative diseases, like Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's disease. In fact, Alzheimer's disease is the most common cause of dementia. And today, as many as 5 million Americans may have the disease. A stroke in the memory or language part of the brain also can create cognitive impairments that constitute dementia, but this dementia, 
a result of vascular disease, is referred to as vascular dementia. In other cases, dementia has a treatable cause. For example, the cumulative side effects of medications taken for other medical conditions can diminish the ability to remember and think. Depression, blood clots pressing on the brain, and metabolic imbalances also can lead to a dementia-like condition. In the early stages of memory loss and other cognitive problems, it can be hard to distinguish between ad and other possible causes of dementia. That's one reason why many researchers are focusing so intently on the very early stages of AD. Not only do they want to understand what triggers and worsens the disease process, they want to develop sensitive, accurate diagnostic tools and tests. An early and accurate assessment of troubling signs and symptoms is crucial for encouraging people get the treatment that matches their actual condition. Even though there are currently too few effective remedies, finding out early that troubling symptoms are caused by ad can help the person get into treatment early, before it is too late to intervene, and while the current medications may have some chance of helping the person maintain cognitive function for a longer time. Early diagnosis also helps the person with that and their family plan for the future and make the most of the time available to them. What happens in the brain in Alzheimer's disease? One of the primary functions of neurons in the brain is to communicate with each other. One to two decades before symptoms of ad appear, communication begins to be disrupted. In a small region of the hippocampal formation, deep within the brain, called the intraorhinal cortex, neurons begin to work less efficiently probably because abnormal protein begin to accumulate, forming tangles. Neurons begin to lose their ability to communicate. The damage then spreads to adjacent regions of the hippocampal formation, where, in addition to neurofibrary tangles, plaques are also formed. This brain region plays a major role in learning and is thought to be the brain's memory center, responsible for converting short-term memories into long-term memories. Long-term memories are then stored in other parts of the brain. Consider this conversion process as similar to clicking save on a computer to store a paragraph in your computer's long-term memory. The brain absorbs information holds it in short-term memory, and then converts short-term to long-term memory. This complex process depends on the ability of neurons to communicate with each other, and is disrupted by the onset and regression of Alzheimer's disease. As tangles accumulate on the inside of neurons, and plaques accumulate on the outside of neurons, an increasing number of neurons become sick and die brain tissue in that area begins to shrink. Gradually, cell sickness and death spreads beyond the hippocampal formation. Over the course of years, this process overtakes much of the cerebral cortex, the gray matter, or outer shell of the brain, and it, too, degenerates. Nerve cells no longer communicate with each other and die. Fluid-filled spaces in the brain, called ventricles, Enlarge as these other regions shrink, and the brain slowly loses its ability to create thoughts, experience emotion, or plan actions. B. 
Because the hippocampal formation is disrupted early, memory changes are among the first symptoms. As the disease progresses and other regions of the brain fall, victim, more cognitive skills are affected and other symptoms appear. Eventually, people with ADD are unable to carry out even simple tasks. The stages of Alzheimer's disease. Though the time from diagnosis to death differs among people with Alzheimer's disease, the disease generally progresses through the same stages. Dr. Ron Peterson was the first to define a condition called mild cognitive impairment, MCI, to describe early changes in memory. Dr. Peterson defined MCI as a condition in which a person has memory problems greater than expected for a person that age, but who does not have the other cognitive or personality changes that typically accompany ad. People with MCI are an important group for researchers to understand because about 80% of people with MCI characterized by memory loss go on to develop ad within 7 years. In contrast, only from 1 to 3% of people older than 65 with healthy cognitive abilities will develop HAD in any given year. The definition and description of MCI has been a big advance because it provides a framework in which experienced clinicians, using sophisticated neuroimaging techniques and sensitive memory and cognitive tests, can monitor a person's cognitive changes over time. Being able to characterize and track Cognitive changes is critical to determining whether a person has ad and when treatment may be most effective. Over time, as the plaques and tangles continue to proliferate, an individual with MCI may progress to a clinical diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. This stage is called mild, or early, Alzheimer's disease. More of the cerebral cortex will be affected so memory loss will increase and other cognitive abilities will diminish. An individual with mild AD may get lost in familiar places or fail to recognize his surroundings. He may take longer to accomplish the daily tasks of living like washing, dressing, and eating. He may have trouble handling money or paying bills or exercise poor judgment. Mood and personality changes can also occur. He may lose spontaneity or drive, or show increased anxiety or aggression. Although a person with mild ad may still seem healthy, it will be harder for him to make sense of his world. Although the individual and his family members and friends may have been aware of troubling changes for some time, ad is often diagnosed during this phase. The diagnosis often helps families make sense of their loved one's behaviors. As Alzheimer's disease progresses and the damage spreads further in the brain, the person enters a stage referred to as moderate Alzheimer's disease. The brain continues to shrink and symptoms become more pronounced as the disease reaches the areas of the cerebral cortex that control language, reasoning, sensory processing, and conscious thought. A person with moderate ad may wonder or become confused, anxious or agitated engaging in angry outbursts, tearfulness, irritability or restlessness. His attention span may shorten. He may have problems recognizing family and friends, and difficulty with language, reading, writing, and arithmetic, and with the logical 
organization of thoughts. He may be unable to learn new things and consequently be unable to cope with new situations. At this stage, a person with ad might also experience hallucinations and paranoid delusions, and lose impulse control, leading to things like inappropriate undressing or the use of vulgar language. It is helpful for caregivers to understand the disease and to be more prepared for these sorts of behaviors before they happen, and to know that it is the disease that is causing them. A person with moderate AD may be unable to carry out activities that require him to follow a sequence, like getting dressed or setting the table. Anger may mask anxiety and confusion. According to the National Institute on Aging, a person at the moderate stage of ad may angrily refuse to take a bath or get dressed because he does not understand what his caregiver has asked him to do. If he does understand, he may not remember how to do it. At the last stage of this illness, severe Alzheimer's disease, plaques and tangles are found throughout the brain. Most areas have shrunken further, leaving only a thin ribbon of gray matter and even larger fluid-filled ventricles. An individual at this final stage cannot communicate in any way, except moaning and grunting. He doesn't recognize loved ones and is completely dependent on others for care. He may experience weight loss and difficulty swallowing, seizures, skin infections, lack of bladder and bowel control, and increased sleeping. If bedridden, he is likely to die from pneumonia as a result of having inhaled food or drink because of difficulty. Swallowing. Defining early changes. For years Alzheimer's disease could not be diagnosed until the person died. And an autopsy revealed an abundance of plaques and tangles in the brain. However, scientists and clinicians around the world have been developing effective techniques to diagnose ad even in its early stages. The diagnostic approaches consider a range of factors, including the results of physical exams, changes in performance on periodic neuropsychological tests, tests that measure memory, language and math skills, and other cognitive abilities, subtle changes in behavior over time, and sometimes brain scans. Today, neurologists can be fairly confident of a diagnosis of clinically probable Alzheimer's disease. Studies have shown that specialized memory centers or doctors experienced in neurodegenerative diseases can diagnose ad with up to 90% accuracy, an impressive feat considering the complexity of the disease and the fact that, in the early stages, it can be difficult to distinguish from other types of age-related cognitive decline. Diagnostic techniques are so important because the earlier that physicians diagnose ad, the better they may be able to treat the symptoms and track the disease process. Early diagnosis can also help spur people with memory problems to make the most of their abilities and interests while they still can. It also helps their families adjust to changing roles and realities and plan for the future. Neurologist Dr. Ron Peterson has been a pioneer in classifying and diagnosing different forms of early-stage memory loss. He is the director of the Mayo Clinic's Alzheimer's Disease Research Center in Rochester, Minnesota and Jacksonville, Florida. 
The Mayo Clinic Center is one of a network of 29 Alzheimer's disease research centers around the country funded by the National Institute on Aging and specializing in research on Alzheimer's disease. Back in 1994, Dr. Ron Peterson and colleagues at the Mayo Clinic diagnosed the beginnings of Alzheimer's disease in former President Ronald Reagan. President and Mrs. Reagan were open with each other and the public about the fact that the former president's forgetfulness was an early stage of ad. This diagnosis was important to them. They felt that for the community and for the world at large, their recognition might show that if the president of the United States can develop Alzheimer's disease, anybody can. By encouraging people not to ignore possible signs of change, they made an important contribution to society, says a Dr. Peterson. Mild cognitive impairment. Because the onset of ad is so slow and symptoms develop gradually over many years, there is a period during which people are slightly more forgetful than they used to be, and perhaps more forgetful than they ought to be. They don't yet have other cognitive or behavioral problems that would classify them as having ad, however. This is the condition that Dr. Peterson named mild cognitive impairment, or MCI classifying this condition has been a major boon to researchers because it has provided the parameters within which to study subtle changes in memory and other cognitive skills that may predict the development of AD. Long-term studies at the Mayo Clinic's Alzheimer's Disease Research Center and with thousands of other research volunteers around the world suggest that People diagnosed with MCI will go on to develop dementia, usually Alzheimer's disease, at a rate of 10-15% a year. We need to identify these people at this earlier stage so that therapies and interventions can be designed to prevent that progression, Dr. Peterson told us. Ultimately we'd like to identify people who are at risk of developing Alzheimer's disease and other diseases when they still have no symptoms. Since first describing the condition, Dr. Peterson and other researchers have developed a framework for understanding the causes and consequences of MCI by identifying subtypes. These subtypes are based on the most affected cognitive skills, which may reveal the areas of the brain that are affected as well. Amnestic MCI the subtype in which memory problems are the most important feature, indicates possible involvement of the hippocampal formation, the memory center of the brain. Other types of MCI called non-amnestic MCI are characterized by declines in other cognitive skills, suggesting damage to other brain regions. For example, some people may have visual difficulties or trouble orienting themselves in space. They may be unable to reproduce a drawing or an arrangement of colored blocks. Such deficiencies suggest that other neurodegenerative diseases, such as frontotemporal dementia, as well as vascular or psychiatric conditions, might be causing this non-amnestic MCI. The classification of two types of MCI amnestic and non-amnestic, has been widely adopted by ad researchers and investigators conducting ad clinical trials. This framework may have a wider application as well. An understanding 
of amnestic MCI combined with other diagnostic tools currently in development and drugs now undergoing clinical trial, may eventually help physicians diagnose and treat people before full-blown Alzheimer's disease has developed. How much forgetting is too much? Dr. Peterson says, it's not always easy to differentiate forgetting a friend's name from pathological forgetting. One of the most difficult questions we get is, how much forgetfulness is too much? Consider the forgetfulness that many people experience as they age. A man comes home, flips his keys on the counter, and then can't find them five minutes later. A woman misplaces her reading glasses or her checkbook. She can't come up with the name of a co-worker in the elevator. Three floors. Later, of course, it comes to her. This kind of incidental forgetfulness isn't too serious. Age-related memory. Changes are very common and most often not related to a disease process. As we get older, we have to pay more attention or focus more on certain activities. It gets more difficult, for example, to drive and talk on a cell phone at the same time, because neither activity is getting our full attention. On the other hand, if a person finds that he still cannot remember an experience even when he is focusing on it, that may be a sign of concern. If he forgets things he used to remember fairly easily, it may be a red flag. You have a doctor's appointment next Tuesday because you think you're having side effects with your blood pressure medicine, Dr. Peterson suggested. Tuesday comes and goes. You don't show up. That can happen every now and then, but when it happens today and it happened three weeks ago and you're afraid it's going to happen two weeks from now, and your family is starting to notice, that's when you may need to speak to somebody about whether the forgetfulness is more than age-related memory loss. The key question is why their behavior has become different from usual. For example, someone who has always calculated the tip on a restaurant check asks another person to do it. Someone uncharacteristically wants to get his tax returns done by an accountant after taking pride in doing them for years, or asks someone else to drive because he can't remember how to get to a very familiar destination. Based on the results of a physical exam and tests of memory and cognitive skills, the doctor may decide that the memory problems are not a concern. On the other hand, the doctor may decide that the changes are a sign of amnestic MCI. Some have called this time a golden age of neuroscience. Advances in many areas, from molecular biology to genetics, have accelerated the pace of discovery far beyond what could be imagined a few decades ago. Behind many of the advances have been new technologies for imaging the brain. When Dr. Alzheimer first described this devastating brain disease, he relied on findings from a microscopic examination of a patient's brain tissue after she died. From that time until the 1980s, the brain with Alzheimer's disease remained a black box. Scientists could only see the characteristic brain pathology at autopsy. The development of magnetic resonance imaging, MRI, and positron emission tomography, PET, has transformed neuroscience. Scientists 
can now see the size and structure of discrete parts of the living brain and can visualize brain function during cognitive tasks like reading or solving math problems. Even more importantly, they can track changes in brain structure and function over time, and compare images with the results of traditional paper and pencil tests of memory and cognition. A world of knowledge has opened up, bringing new possibilities for diagnosis, identifying targets for drug therapies, and suggesting methods for monitoring response to interventions. As recently as 30 years ago, scientists characterized the memory loss that we now diagnose as Alzheimer's as senility, and thought it was a normal part of aging. We hear from leading head researchers about how far the field has come. Since Dr. Alois Alzheimer discovered the disease more than a century ago,